Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 87 of the OCR Underground Show. This is Mike Diebler. As always, thank you so much for joining me. And if you want to check out the show notes for today's episode, there's probably going to be a lot of links today. Uh, make sure you head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode 87. All right, well, I want to start off with a little injury update. Um, as you probably know, I had a pretty significant injury in Tahoe and been spending uh, the last several weeks just really trying to let it rest, recover, and, and starting my rehab now. And I have to say I, I am pretty happy with how it's going. There's still a lot I can't do, um, but I that list I think is getting smaller and smaller. I'm definitely having a little bit of FOMO for missing one race so far, not able to do Big Bear, and now with the other SoCal race coming up um, very soon, it's gonna be another race that unfortunately I won't be able to participate in, but I know long-term that it's gonna be all right. There's plenty more races to to get involved with. So um, it's been pretty cool. I've been able to do some push-ups and a few um, push-up variations, which have been really, really good just to be able to actually do a push-up again um, and how sore I'm getting from doing that. Uh, and I haven't been able to do a pull-up yet, but I have been able to hang, which is really cool. So I can still work on some hanging strength and grip strength, um, and even been able to do some flex arm hangs. So it's slowly getting better. Um, obviously, it's always too long, but definitely making some progress there. So I'm excited to hopefully um, get out on a course again, potentially in December. Um, either way, I did want to let you know that I will be leading the um, op obstacle specialist course in LA in the December race. So I know I will be good enough to to lead through those obstacles, and um, I'm really excited about that. So if you're looking for uh, a little trial run on the obstacles, but really more importantly to you know have the opportunity to pick my brain on some different strategies for overcoming. Uh, the obstacles you're going to see. So it's a, a great opportunity to, to actually get on the obstacles because a lot of times you just don't have that chance. So getting that sneak peek of the course, um, not only getting to try and play around on the obstacles, but like I said, um, me giving you some of my best tips and things to look out for or pay attention to um, when you're uh, out on the course doing some of these obstacles that you can take, you know, from race to race. So um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Um, you can you can find it on spartan.com, I'm sure, but I'll put the direct link to this uh, program. It's going to be December 10th in uh, at the LA course, and uh, it'll be really awesome to see some of you guys out there. I do have a code. Um, I'll put this in the link uh, in the uh, show notes as well, but it is OS2021, Mike D10. That'll get you 10% off of uh, registration so you can save some money and uh, and join me for a fun day uh, for a few hours out on the course uh, should be should be a good one so hopefully I can uh, see you out there all right but getting into today's episode uh, it's gonna be a solo episode just me today no interview uh, but don't worry we'll be back next time with another great interview for you 
In this one, uh, in the Inside, Inside Mike's Mind segment, I'm gonna talk about some keys for running faster. Uh, in my research review, I'm gonna talk about carbohydrate timing, specifically some research looking at some in-race uh, gel, carbohydrate gels. And I also wanna do, a, uh, instead of an interview, we're gonna do a special bonus section today on mobility. Uh, one thing I'm definitely trying to improve on is uh, my mobility, um, especially recovering from my injury, but just in general, just making sure I, I get the most out of my mobility training. So I'm gonna cover my top five mistakes that most people make when um, trying to improve their mobility. Uh, but before we get into the episode, I want to make sure I take some time to uh, talk about our sponsors and thank them for their support um, in this podcast. And first up is Fitbar. And I've talked about Fitbar in the past. They have a ton of really unique um, obstacle-specific and grip training tools. And they do have a new product out that's really cool. So I wanted to um, talk about that real quick the uh, HG7 Fat Grips. So it's a pair of pull-up handles, um, but they are essentially like a fat grip. So I know one of the things that many people struggle with with uh, some of the obstacles like monkey bars is they're not used to such a, a wide grip. And when you go out and train on monkey bars, a lot of times they're kind of the thin grip. So um, this is something using these new grip tools, you can definitely train um, practicing on that fat grip. Not only can you use them for, um, you know, pull-ups and hanging, but also you can attach them to, you know, any cable machine and um, just use that wide grip to really work on on that grip strength and that crush strength. Um, so it's it's uh, extra thick. It's uh, 2.4 inch diameter. Um, so it's definitely going to help prepare you for uh, some of those obstacles with those those wide bars. So check them out, plus all of their awesome products at fitbarstrong.com. And don't forget, you can use code OCR underground uh, and save 10% off your order. All right, next up is Venga CBD. Venga CBD makes CBD products specifically with the endurance athlete in mind, making them a perfect fit for any OCR athlete. And I've mentioned a lot about me personally really using um, their products to help speed up my recovery as fast as possible with my injury, just trying to get out there, get, get back out there as fast as I can. And it's really been helpful uh, regularly using their products. Um, I want to also let you know they have a, a bunch of free downloads for you to check out as well. Um, one that I think is really important to check out, and it's their uh, five mistakes athletes make when taking CBD. Uh, it's a free guide that you can download. Um, inside, you're going to learn the number one mistake athletes make when taking CBD, how much CBD your body actually absorbs, which CBD products to use to reach your goals, and how CBD can skyrocket your recovery. So this is a free download. Um, just go to vengaendurance.com slash five mistakes, and uh, you can check that out and, you know, just check out their site. You can learn more about their products. And uh, don't forget, if you are going to pick up anything, uh, you can use the coupon code OCRUnderground25, and you're going to save 25% off your first order. Um, or if you're going to sign up for a monthly subscription plan, you can use OCR Underground 50, and you'll get 50% off your first first month's subscription, right? So check them out at vengacbd.com slash OCR underground. Okay, and then finally, I wanted to talk about a brand new sponsor, 
flexmovementfitness.com. Uh, they have a, a few really cool and unique uh, fitness training tools. I personally use all of them um, with my, my own workouts and with my clients. And I wanna specifically talk about their flex cord. Um, it is uh, essentially, it's resistance band training for any age and fitness level. It's uh, a sleeved elastic, so it has a like a bungee covering around it to protect the band, uh, to make sure you don't stretch it too far, and to help lengthen the life, life of bands, because if you've used bands at all, you know that um, it's very easy to wear them down, and once they rip once, that's, that's pretty much it for them. Um, they have a, new, a unique feature, enabling them to have a five to one stretch ratio, um, which gives you greater versatility in your exercise program. And the loop handles provide multiple unique grips and anchor options, uh, even enabling a no grip option. Um, so pretty cool. Uh, check them out at flexmovement.com and uh, you can check out the flex cord and that's uh, cord with a K. I'm going to be posting a, a bunch of uh, ways I use them um, uh, from bear crawling to stretching uh, to mobility work. There's there's a, a whole bunch of different ways that you can use this, this tool. Um, so uh, definitely check out the show notes and I'll post some videos on how the flex cord works and how you can incorporate it into your training and as always i did work out a coupon code um, when you go to flexmovementfitness.com and movement spelled m-v-m-t um, use my last name diebler that's d-e-i-b-l-e-r uh, as a promo code and you'll get 15 percent off your order all right well i think that's all the announcements i had and uh let's get going with uh, today's episode. Okay, in today's Inside Mike Mike's Mind segment, uh, we're gonna talk about running faster. Now, obviously this is a goal that probably everybody has in some form, right? We wanna run faster. So I, there's no easy answer when you know somebody has that question, how do I run faster? I mean, there's, there's a lot of variables that come into play. What distance are we talking about? And you know, a, a lot of things you have to consider. But um, if we just kind of look at it at maybe a more simplified level um, on some keys that you should consider, you know, maybe adding into your program or tweaking your program if the speed of your running is is a goal that you might have um, now i know some people it's it's not as much about the speed and more about the endurance and just lasting for longer so you have to kind of take into account what's your primary goal is it that endurance-based training and i just need to be able to go for a really long period of time not necessarily super fast but um, just just keep moving like maybe in an ultra race um, or is it no i'm i'm just trying to run faster i want to really see my peak time in, in some of those shorter distances obviously your training is going to be totally different based on what your goal might be so if we're going to assume you're really trying to, to improve that time like run a faster mile or faster 5k um, something like that there's um you know some things that i think we definitely can can narrow in on to help improve that and i was recently reading um, a little bit on roger bannister and the his training method and while I'm sure he did quite a few different types of training, he was kind of known for you know a very specific uh, type of training. And he would essentially do uh, like race pace training, but he'd, he'd run quarter mile sprints, right? So his goal was he was trying to run that sub four minute mile. So 
it's pretty clear if you're going to run a quarter mile, we know he needs to break 60 seconds uh, for four consecutive quarter mile runs. Uh, so when he would do this training, and he would do uh, about 10 of them, so he'd do 10 quarter mile sprints, and he would take about a two minute rest uh, or recovery in between each one. And uh, this was essentially a lot of the training that he did in order to prep for that one mile run. Now, he was averaging um, over 60 seconds, so pretty disappointed by this. He knew he had to obviously run uh, four consecutive under 60 seconds, and if he was averaging over 60 seconds with a little bit of rest in between, that probably wasn't going to get him to his goal. So um, one thing he did add was rest. I know it sounds crazy, but he just took breaks from, from running so he could... Um, you know, recover and just just stop stressing out about it mentally, but also letting his body recover from from the workouts. Uh, and he noticed that when he did take breaks, he would see significant gains in his his times, where he was averaging fifty nine seconds um, for his runs. So able to um, break that sixty second consecutive consecutively. So he was running ten quarter miles corner mile sprints average of 59 seconds with you know with a recovery in between um so i think we we have a couple different things to really look out here and i think two of the biggest things that you definitely need to consider when trying to run faster now this helps if you have maybe a specific goal time that you're looking for so for example here he knew he was trying to break four minutes so he just made it as simple as possible, right? I need to run a quarter mile in under 60 seconds, uh, and that needs to be the pace that he has to do. So for in his training, he was you know, more running more, you know, he was running 10 versus four um, to help prepare him for that. So um, I think one thing you have to consider is you need to expose yourself to the speed you're trying to run. So you may not be able to run you know, a four minute mile. Um, but if we can shorten the distance, can you at least hit that pace for a given distance? So you may be nowhere near four minutes, but you know, whatever makes sense for the goal you're trying to run, we want to look at the biomechanics of it, right? Being able to get into that speed for a given time to start to expose your body to the speed that it's going to have to run. Right. So um, and this might help you determine what a, a potential good goal might be. Right. If you can't if you can't get to the speed that you're going to have to run at any point, we know maybe that was too lofty of a goal. So I need to make sure. Can you get into that that gear? Right. Even if it's for not not for a mile, can we break it down? You know, if you're trying to run uh, a six minute mile, so getting OK, what's my quarter mile split need to be? You know, can I maintain that for for one quarter mile? with a recovery in between and can I repeat it, you know, after, after a decent recovery. So, um, just exposing your body to the speed that you're trying to get to on a regular basis. Now, um, I don't think this is all you should be doing, but I do think regularly doing this is going to be beneficial. So this could be a weekly, maybe even a few times a week, focusing on purely getting the speed where you need to be. Um, and doing repeats like like basically like Roger Bannister did, right? So picking that that goal time that you're trying to, to go for, um, 
practice at that threshold, right? Because that's ultimately what it is. You're 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 getting the biomechanics down, but you're gonna have to um, push that lactate threshold. So you're you're at this speed where you're pushing as fast as you can. There there might be a biomechanic breakdown, which actually happens a lot, and that's why people can't maintain uh, a pace like this. So we need to get the biomechanics down of being able to maintain this speed. But when we look, you know, physiologically at um, metabolic buildup like lactate that is you know preventing your muscles from contracting in order to maintain this right we can um, become more tolerant of this and we can delay that threshold a little bit longer so i think those are the two keys there it's training for that speed to expose yourself to the biomechanics of it um, for a prolonged period of time so you understand what it takes to run at that speed um, just at a shorter distance and then two, helping push that lactate threshold a little bit so you are more comfortable training there or you can even push your lactate threshold uh, a little bit higher. Uh, and then I think the other piece is you need to take planned recoveries, right? You have to take a break from this and that can be cross training, that could be you know deloading, that could be just changing your program up a little bit, but we go for a few weeks to um, expose the body to a specific workout and then we kind of back off change it up a little bit and then we go back to it so um, i think that's something that we probably don't take advantage of enough and i know i've talked about that in the past but just making sure that we have those planned recoveries and probably the easiest way to do something like that is think of it as a three to one right three if, if we have four weeks on average in a month uh three weeks we're pushing hard you know trying to progress each of those weeks and then one week recovery and then we go back to it three weeks hard one week recovery um and just you know looking at it that way you kind of have that built-in recovery week every month not that you're not training and you're not doing anything but maybe just uh, and it could be still just training pretty hard but cross training doing something else you know getting on a rower or a salt bike or, or something just taking a break from running it's not the same exposure over and over and over again so you kind of get a a, a a fresh start each month. <clears throat> I know when I think about this uh, this method, you know, long, long time ago, when I first was getting into personal training, I had a uh, a client who he actually bet all of the trainers at the uh, facility I was at a thousand dollars if anybody could beat him in um, in a five k race. And uh, so obviously we all dropped our weights because <laughs> most of us didn't run at all and we just lifted weights and he knew that. So it was a pretty smart bet on his, uh, his behalf. And um, so we all dropped our weights and started training. So we had like maybe a month or two uh, to get ready for this 5K. And I know me personally pretty much did zero running at this point it was just just some lifting maybe playing volleyball uh that, that was about it this before i got into any type of of ocr and i remember i had to look up what his time was from the previous year and if i remember correctly he was running um he ran a 21 minute 5k so i probably had run like one 5k in my life and i know it wasn't anything near 21 minutes so not really knowing a, a ton of what to do, I just figured, okay, I have a very specific goal. I have to run a 21 minute 5k to have a chance to do this. So my training um, once or twice a week would be, I would run three one mile um, intervals as fast as I could. So I had a, a out and back loop basically by my apartment where I was living. 
And um, so I knew I just had to run, run out and back. That would be my mile. And all I tried to do was run it in seven minutes, right? Because I knew I'm going to have to at least run uh, seven minute miles um, in order to run this 21-ish minute 5K. So I figured as long as I can uh, in practice run seven minute uh, miles, then hopefully when I got to the race and had a little bit of adrenaline, I could, you know, for that point one, I could uh, um, manage to uh, sprint to the finish or whatever I needed to do. Uh, so that was essentially my training, right? I just did these these one mile sprints to see what it what it felt like to have to run this this pace, um, and then I would take um, about a seven minute recovery in between. Um, so essentially, I was doing you know one to one work to rest ratio. Uh, so day of the race came, we went out, he got out before me. Um, so I was in a few heats or uh, yeah, a few heats after him. So I couldn't, you know, just follow him. I just had to run as fast as I could, um, and just rely on my training to hopefully get there. So, uh, I went out there and I, I just ran as hard as I could. And my finishing time was 21 minutes right on the nose, which is pretty funny that, you know, literally ran a 21 minute um, 5k just based off of the training that I was doing, which I was super happy about because, um, I'm sure that was a several minute PR for me, just having run a few 5ks, um, at all, um, up to that point. And of course I run over to the results to see how he did. And he ended up running like a 20, 20 or, or something like that. So, uh, he picked up the pace even more. So, so I wasn't quite ready to run that fast. Um, but, um, you know, I share that story because uh, I can see kind of one of my very first uh, experiences in specifically trying to train for a race. That's all I essentially did was just get used to running at that speed. And it worked really well. Now, I'm sure, you know, I, there were many things I could have added to maybe even get faster and, and um, you know, increase that even more. But I think doing really nothing else, that was that was a pretty cool accomplishment there. All right, so this is kind of my takeaways are really these two things. What's your goal? What speed are you trying to get at? Now do everything you can to expose yourself to that speed. Like I said, I don't think this should be your only training, but at least once a week, what are you doing to expose yourself um, to that running pace? And, um, and then take a break. <laughs> take a break every once in a while. Back off, don't put so much stress on yourself, um, you know, just let it go, uh, deload, recover, and then uh, hit it again and see if you notice just by taking some time off. Did you, uh, did you recover and, and uh, adapt and have a faster pace now? Uh, so see how that goes and see if you can start uh, PRing in some of your races out there. Okay, it's time for my research review. We're gonna talk about in-race uh, nutrition with specifically carbohydrate timing. So in this study, they wanted to compare different intervals for uh, carbohydrate gels specifically, and they use cyclists for this one. Um, they had three time trials, so all, all participants did all three at various times. And in the first trial, they did two hours of, um, excuse me, they, they took a uh, carbohydrate gel 15 minutes prior to the experiment, and they did two hours of um, steady state 
cycling. So um, two hours at 70% of their VO2 max. And then once they hit the two hour mark, they did a 15 minute fixed gear time trial. So basically the gear, it was resisted and they went as hard as they could for uh, 15 minutes and just measured how far they made it after cycling for two hours at 70% of the VO2 max. Um, so they essentially did this three times. Now in the first trial, what they did was they, they still did the 15 minute pre-workout gel. Uh, then they went in and every 30 minutes they consumed a carbohydrate gel. Uh, in the second time trial, they essentially did the same exact thing, but they spread it out a little further and did every 45 minutes. And in the third trial, they only did the 15 minutes prior and they did no other feeding other than that. Uh, so what were some of the differences? Uh, the main things that they were looking for, they looked at blood lactate levels, they looked at blood glucose levels uh, 60 minutes in, and then they looked at that time trial to see who made it the furthest. So with the uh, 30 minute intervals, the, um, the uh, blood glucose levels were essentially the same as 45 minutes, um, but both were significantly higher than uh, no in-workout uh, carbohydrate feeding, which pretty much makes sense, right? So the first two groups were consuming at regular intervals, so they were able to keep their blood glucose levels a little bit higher, meaning they had more available energy. Um, the group that did only the 15 minute prior uh, saw a significantly lower uh, blood glucose levels 60 minutes into their time trial. Uh, then when we look at the uh, ending time trial, that 15 minute sprint, uh, the group that had the 30 minute um, feedings saw an average of 7.56 kilometers that they were able to cover in those 15 minutes. The 45 minute interval uh, trial, they saw 7.16 kilometer. Uh, so we do see a difference there, but it wasn't of significance according to the statistics they used. And in the last group, um, they saw the, uh, the the worst time trial. It was 6.69, which was significantly lower than um, both of the previous. So um, essentially what they found was over this two hour time period, and then adding that time trial to the end, both the 30 and the 45 minute um, intervals were significantly better than no feeding at all. So I think this is just another uh, more evidence showing the importance of timing out your uh, nutrition, whether it's your training or whether it's during a race at pretty regular intervals. Now, I think this is kind of right in line with I, what I typically recommend with my clients, uh, 30 or 45 minutes. I know in the 30 minute one, it did have a little bit further on the time trial. Um, but not of significant value. So I think it really would come down to more personal preference, what makes more sense for you in your training and in your racing, but sticking to somewhere around that 30 to 45 minute window. Uh, we do see that at an hour in, we did have a significant reduction in blood glucose levels when we did no feeding. So I do, again, thinks it, think it shows if you're gonna be doing racing or training, more than an hour, it's probably a good idea to start, you know, thinking about um, your nutrition during that, so you can you can practice for for race day. Um, 
One thing, uh, last thing I think is important that we mentioned, they, I mentioned they looked at blood lactate levels and they didn't see any differences there. So uh, the feeding did not reduce the amount of blood lactate. So we also have to keep in mind, what is your limiting factor? Is it the energy? So you're just running out of energy and your muscles are having a hard time uh, functioning because they just can't get enough energy to do the work that they need to do. Or is it because of lactate buildup and um, that's preventing them from functioning the way that they're supposed to. So it's a good idea if you kind of understand what your limiting factor is and know what you need to uh, specify in your training. Is it more lactate training or is it more working on nutrient timing? So that kind of depends on where your weak spots are or just what you tend to notice in your own training. So um, again, nothing um, super crazy found in this study, but I think it's a nice reminder that uh, we work on those regular interval feedings with carbohydrates um, during our training and then obviously during our racing. We may um, play around with it because I do think there's an individual um, preference for for everybody out there so find out what works best for you but I think starting with that 30 to 45 minute window is a good good place to start with that all right well as I mentioned no interview this week so we're gonna do a special uh, bonus section and today I want to spend some time and talk about mobility I think mobility is uh, lacking in a lot of people's program and sometimes it's too much in other people's programs. So it just kind of depends on your individual need. But I do think that uh, many mistakes are made with mobility and I think it's worth touching on a few of them. So I'm going to go over five common mistakes I see when, when people are trying to improve their mobility and hopefully these will help you guys out if uh, mobility is up there on some of your goals. So number one is ignoring breathing. And I think this is such an important piece for, for so many different things. And we can talk on and on about uh, why breathing is so important, but I wanna specifically look at its role with mobility. Now think about why you're tight in the first place. And, and there's a lot of potential reasons why you have tightness. So we can't answer all of those questions. You know, it could be a muscle issue. It could be a fascial issue. It could be a joint issue. Um, it, it could be a psychological issue. There, there's so many different things that can contribute to muscle tightness. But I think it's important to understand how much breathing can help you from a number of different areas. And number one is just better breathing in general. So think about what happens at your neck and your shoulders when you don't have proper breathing mechanics, right? If you just hyperventilate, take a deep shower, or excuse me, shallow breaths through your mouth only, you know, what goes on in your shoulders? They tighten up because you're starting to use secondary muscles to, uh, to for breathing. And this is going to create to basically overuse and they're constantly going to be on because you're always using them for for breathing. I know one thing when I am out presenting and I have to do a lot of talking, how tight my neck and my shoulder gets because I'm just talking and talking and breathing through my mouth the entire time, uh, it makes it a little harder and, and difficult. So it's something I have to pay attention to afterwards to help kind of correct that. Um, so just good diaphragmatic breathing help resetting that nervous system a little bit, right? You're, you're increasing parasympathetic nervous system activity, which is going to get the, um, the nervous system to calm down and 
hopefully that alone can create some significant um, relaxation in certain muscles to just allow for better mobility. And I've absolutely seen that with doing no stretching at all, really just doing breathing and seeing mobility improve. Uh, so if that's a, a, a weak link for you, that alone can make some big improvements. Uh, the other thing I wanted to focus on with breathing is just making sure you're breathing, right? So when you're doing a stretch, how common it is that people hold their breath while they're performing a stretch, right? You're you're pulling on that, that joint, you're pulling on that muscle, and you're creating all this tension, and this is actually going to give you the opposite effect, right? If you stretch on a muscle long enough, um, it, it'll, it'll let go, right? It's going to inhibit, and you'll get some range of motion, but it's not going to last. Um, just think about it, right? You're, you're trying to tell the nervous system to calm down, but if you're holding your breath while you're doing a stretch and kind of going into a stretch too deep, this is actually going to signal more of a sympathetic response, right? Which is going to have the, the opposite effect of what we just talked about in the first place. And if we think of it from the, the nervous system, if you're holding a breath, that's, that's kind of a, a guarding mechanism, right? It's, it's basically a sign that you're, you don't belong wherever you are, right? So if you're in a, a pose or a stretch and you're holding a holding your breath, you really don't own that position, right? Because you have to hold your breath in order to get there. So yes, this means sometimes backing off a stretch is actually going to be better for stretching, right? For better for mobility. So this is something I try and get all my clients to pay attention to. And instead of counting your, you know, I'm going to hold the position for 30 seconds or a minute or whatever it is, you're gonna instead think about counting your breaths, right? To just focus on an inhale and an exhale. Now, quality of breath is still gonna matter. So here's what you do before you get into a stretch. You're gonna just take a normal inhale and a normal exhale. And I just want you to remember what that feels like. Then go into your stretch. Does your breath feel exactly the same? Is it the same amount of time on your inhale? Same amount of time on your exhale? If yes, you're probably in a good stretch. If you had to alter your breathing in order to get into that position, right? I think you've gone too far into that stretch. So um, this is, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they don't understand how important breathing is during stretching, right? So uh, that's something you absolutely want to pay attention to. Does your breath at rest? look like the breath you're taking in in your stretch. Uh, next thing I want to jump into is ignoring soft tissue work. Um, I think a lot of people do use foam rolling and other, other uh, myofascial release tools, but it's one of those things we can argue and debate over the mechanism and what's actually happening when you foam roll, but I think it's pretty clear that it does something significant, right? Uh, adding tension and pressure to a muscle is a great way to help get it to to relax and restore mobility so i think this is kind of your second step if we're going to call breathing number one right so maybe just doing a minute or two of good diaphragmatic breathing kind of sets the stage for better mobility and then obviously continuing that breathing throughout this whole process um, but the next step is once you kind of set the stage with that breath work now let's grab some some tools you know lacrosse balls tennis balls foam rollers whatever there's a million different things out there but doing some type of, of soft tissue work uh, i think is the great great second step now with soft tissue work if i just use foam rolling for example it's not always a more is better thing, right? So it's not like the goal is to continue to progress to the, the harder tool 
to the you know more painful thing because remember mistake number one is not focusing on breathing if you're using something so dense um, and it's pushing in that muscle so hard you you go into that pain cave and you have to hold your breath all of a sudden i don't think you're going to get everything you need out of out of foam rolling as well so just just keep that in mind if, if you can't breathe um, if it's too painful it's probably not doing what you think it's doing right so use the appropriate tool i think it's good to have options right so sometimes a lacrosse a lacrosse ball is awesome other times it's just going to dig in there too deep right you push hard enough on any muscle um, it's going to cause cause problems cause pain so we just need the right amount of tension there um, and the other thing is play around on that roller move in all different directions so you can just kind of do traditional rolling back and forth um, but then one of the biggest things I like to do is once you find those trigger spots, right? Those trigger points where all of a sudden we have a lot of tension in this one area, you can hang out on that spot and breathe. Um, but if possible, I like to move the joint that we're trying to improve. So let's just say it's my ankle that I'm working on. I'm rolling out my calves because that's uh, an area that's, that's preventing ankle mobility. So as I'm rolling out back and forth, I want to get the entire length of that muscle with the foam roller or massage stick or whatever I'm using. Uh, now, when I find one of those trigger spots, I'm going to hang out on it a little bit, and then I'm going to add some movement in the ankle. So I might do some ankle circles or point my toes, flex, plantar flexion, dorsiflexion, whatever it might be, but get that joint moving, right? So we're kind of pinning down that tissue, and then we're almost flossing it by moving that joint around. Um, so I think that's, that's a good way to utilize soft tissue work. Um, the next step is going, or, or excuse me, the next uh, mistake that I often see is, I'm gonna call it not saving the document. Uh, we use this phrase a lot when teaching uh, at FMS, Functional Movement Systems, because we have to remember the whole point of increasing mobility is learning how to use that mobility, right? So all movement is essentially it's a habit, right? So we have good habits and bad habits, right? So if you are tight for whatever reason and at a joint, it's gonna limit your mobility, right? So maybe you don't, you can't squat as low because of issues at the ankle or at the hips or um, whatever it might be, right? So that, let's just say the hips, for example, there's tightness in there and it's preventing movement from occurring. So let's say you do some good breath work and foam rolling and some awesome mobility drills and you definitely see an improvement in mobility. Now you've had this experience before where you, you get some movement and then maybe again do your workout or whatever it might be and then the next day you're kind of starting over and then the next day you're starting over and you're never really seeing the progress there um, because we're not saving our work right so imagine you, you type up a, pap a paper on microsoft word and uh, you just shut down your computer and you never save it now i gotta start over the next day right so what we want to do is teach the brain how to use that movement so now whatever joint we're trying to work on, now that you've gotten maybe a few extra degrees range of motion at that joint, what are you doing to kind of lock that movement in, right? So taking the movement or taking the joint through range of motion. Hey, if you, if you got more mobility at the hips and you can squat a little bit deeper, remember movement's a habit. You're probably going to just go back to your default and you're going to squat to the same depth that you're always used to squatting because that's what's comfortable. And then maybe you throw a bunch of load on there and, and you're, you're just not comfortable going into uh, that deeper range of motion. So that's our kind of our next step is making sure, hey, use this new range of motion. You have to teach the brain, teach the joints that, hey, it's okay to be here. I know we might not have been here in five years, 10 years, whatever it is, but we're, we're kind of bringing it back, 
right? So making sure you use this new range of motion, right? So squatting a little bit deeper, just taking a joint through full range that it just probably hasn't experienced in a little bit and uh, in, in a long, long time there. All right. Uh, the next mistake now it's uh, movements complicated, right? And it's, it's hard to break it down into, Hey, I'm just going to lengthen this muscle and I get better range of motion right? It doesn't work that simply all the time. And that's the next mistake is basically not taking into account joint positions. And this might not make sense, but hopefully I'm going to give a couple examples that'll make it a little bit more, more clear for you. And uh, if possible, um, if you can do some of these things while, while you're listening, uh, it's going to make perfect sense, right? So the first one, let's say you have tight shoulders, right? So you really want to improve your shoulder mobility. Um, it's not as simple as, well, I'm going to lengthen my lat muscle and that's going to allow me to reach over my head better, right? That's a piece of it, but you can't, it's not that simple. And here's, here's how I'll explain that. I want you to sit up or stand up or wherever you are right now as tall as you can. So nice tall posture. And I want you to reach your arm over your head. Now, hopefully you have decent range of motion. You should be able to reach straight up in the air, right? And get full range of motion at the shoulder, but whatever you can do, right? So pay attention how, how far up in the air can you get that arm? Now, what I want you to do is you're going to um, slouch, right? So I want you to, you know, pretend you have really bad posture. You're going to round forward, kind of sitting in your chair or standing, whatever you want to do. Now I want you to do that same movement. I want you to bring your arm over your head. What happened to your shoulder range of motion? right? It pretty much disappeared because the shoulder joint doesn't work. If the scapula can't work and the scapula can't work, if uh, the thoracic spine is not in a good resting position. So, uh, all of the, you know, all these different body parts are connected. So, um, if I'm looking at the shoulder, it's easy to, to put all the blame on the shoulder girdle, right? So that, that main joint that people think about the glenohumeral joint, um, when people kind of say the shoulder, this is typically what they're they're referring to, but you can't ignore the, the scapula and you can't ignore the thoracic spine. So this is why when somebody has limited shoulder mobility, really the, the first place you probably want to attack is uh, the thoracic spine, right? The upper back. We want to make sure there's good mobility there so it allows for better mobility down the chain. Um, so I can use an example with the hips as well. So if you were to um, lay on your back and I want you to just lift one leg up in the air as high as you can, kind of like you're doing a hamstring stretch type thing and just kind of pay attention how high you can get your leg there. Then if we did the same thing, but I want you to arch your back. So you're trying to create as much space between your back and the floor as possible. And then you lift your leg up in the air as high as you can. You're going to notice that all of your range of motion just disappeared again, right? Did we do anything? You know, uh, did I did I tighten anything? You know, what happened there? Again, it's looking at what are the joints that relate to the hip doing, right? So if we look at the pelvis, for example, right? So a lot of people are in an anterior pelvic tilt, we'll call it, right, where their um, their hips are actually their pelvis is tilted forward. Right. So if you picture somebody with kind of an increased arch in their lower back, their tight hip flexors, and it's pulling everything forward there. So if you follow the pelvis down, you can, the hamstrings attach to it. So if you're in an anterior pelvic tilt where you're arching your back, your hamstrings are already lengthened. So if you try and stretch them even more, 
they're going to run out of room because they have no, no place to go, right? They can't stretch out anymore. So by putting your pelvis in a better, more neutral position, it actually allows for better hip mobility, right? And that occurs with no stretching at all, right? It's all about just putting the joints in better positions in order for other joints to do what they're supposed to do. So this one gets complicated, but I think those two examples are probably the most common ones you're gonna see. So if you're trying to improve shoulder mobility, pay attention to what your thoracic spine is doing. If you're trying to do hip mobility, pay attention to what your pelvis is doing, right? So this, like I said, gets complicated, but I think you're gonna get more and more out of your training when you understand these, these concepts more. Okay. My last mistake is you don't need mobility work at all, right? So I mentioned this kind of in, in the beginning. Not everybody should be working on more and more mobility. Just like anything, more is not better. I always think it's funny. A lot of times when you see um, mobility exercises and people posting things online, the person showing it is has so much mobility, it's kind of ridiculous, and they, they just can get into these positions with ease. And I'm sure if you see what the other, the person on the other end looks like that actually needs the mobility work, they can't even get into the starting position, right? So we want to make sure, do you need mobility work, right? So when we take a joint through full range of motion, that's all you need. Once you have full range of motion, more range of motion is actually worse, right? Once you get outside of that optimal range of motion at a joint, now it's not no longer the muscles that are the issue it's it's that joint itself it's the ligaments it's connective tissue right now they're starting to be put under stress and they're the ones they can't contract back like a muscle can right they're they're more static so if you damage those ones right that obviously becomes a big big problem there so i know it might feel good to stretch sometimes but that doesn't mean it's the best option for you usually those that love stretching probably don't need it those that hate stretching are probably the ones that need to be doing it every day right so we kind of need to flip-flop so the ones that don't love going to yoga and, and can't stand that kind of stuff are probably the best ones for it and the ones that live there and always trying to get into the next next pose probably need a break from it all right so um, if you have adequate mobility you can maintain it I'm not saying don't stretch anymore but we're just not trying to get outside of our normal range like when you watch you know people posting things about you know putting their feet behind their head and um, and bending their back in all these crazy positions right there, there's a limit on how much your body's supposed to be able to do and there's a cost to that and you're going to pay for it at some point um, if you continue trying to get more and more out of these joints so just know is it is it necessary to continue to work on mobility right and those that tend to be more hypermobile you actually want to work on more stability right you want to learn how to control that movement versus just trying to get more and more range of motion all right so those are my five really myths or tips or whatever you want to call them uh, to hopefully help you get a little bit more out of your mobility work All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 87 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, I hope you found it helpful in your OCR training. If so, I'd love it if you gave me a review in iTunes or however you might be listening to the show. Uh, again, I wanted to give a big thanks to all of our sponsors for helping me out with this show. 
Um, holidays are just around the corner, so if you're looking for some gift ideas, uh, definitely they have some, some great options for you. Uh, make sure you check out Venga CBD at vengacbd.com slash OCR Underground. Um, check out FitBar and all their amazing products at fitbarstrong.com. And then also check out our newest sponsor, Flex Movement. Uh, flex movement fitness at flexmovementfitness.com and movement is m v m t um, again check out the links uh, or the show notes for the links in the show and any coupon or promo codes that i have for you at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 87 all right well that's going to do it for now until next time keep training smarter